And if we're all encouraged to be our, you know, our own unique spark and bring that full creative self to work, imagine how much joy we would have in a workplace. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast today, we're diving into another one of my favorites from the fourth year of the podcast. It's my conversation with Scott Shute, the head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn and author of The Full Body Yes, and I loved it this conversation with Scott. I know I say this in like every intro for these best of episodes, but this one was really good because Scott is really at the intersection of the workplace and ancient wisdom traditions. He's been an active advocate for customers and employees in the technology space for over 20 years. And so he's had all these amazing and impressive roles at LinkedIn and beyond. And so in his current role as head of mindfulness and compassion programs, he's blending his lifelong practice and passion with this practical leadership and operations experience. And it just, it was so cool and refreshing to hear Scott's perspective on all things compassion and mindfulness and leadership and being in the workplace because his mission is really to change work from the inside out by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. So this is a really, really good one. And in this episode, we dive into Scott's journey becoming the head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn and writing his book, The Full Body Yes. We talk about the importance of bringing our full self to work, why we need to do it and its impact, why mindfulness is relevant to the workplace, and we dive into this mission I shared with you of Scott's to really mainstream mindfulness and operationalize compassion. We dive into compassion and leadership, why we're often climbing the wrong mountain when it comes to success. I really loved this part of the episode. We dive into his book and then what actually a full body yes looks like and feels like, moving from pessimism to optimism and why we need to celebrate our failures. Plus, Scott shares with us his go-to mantra, his biggest dream, and so much more. One of the reasons why I do this podcast is because I really want you to be able to live a happier, more joyful, and just ease-filled life. And so that's why I'm so happy to share that today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. The last year and a half, there is no doubt it's been difficult. And that's why I think now more than ever, it's important that we have reliable resources that we can turn to. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. So this is how it works. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's easy and free to change counselors if you don't think the person you're matched with is a good fit. And this service is available for people worldwide too. BetterHelp also offers a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, so you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too. So as a listener of Seek the Joy podcast, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash seek the joy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash seek the joy. The link will also be included in our show notes. It's funny. I remember when this episode originally came out 
in May. And I felt it was so timely because so many of us were returning to the workplace after a year of being at home and working from home. And as Scott so beautifully shares in this episode, our journey towards greater happiness and meaning at work is fueled by compassion, compassion for ourselves and then compassion for others. And I love what he shares too, that our lives change for the better when we measure our own success by our own happiness and not someone else's. And this is, this is the biggest takeaway for me. We all deserve to do work that makes us happy. And through mindfulness and compassion, we can all get there. So I hope that you take as much from this conversation as I did, whether you're listening to it for the first time or for the second or third time, I know you're going to love it. As always, hit follow or subscribe wherever it is that you're tuning in right now. Leave us a five-star rating and review if you can, and then take a screenshot of that review and send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com. I'll send you something to say thank you. It's always such a fun way to connect outside of the show. And we're diving into our last few episodes here of this Best Of series. So can't wait to come back and share some brand new episodes with you all. So without further ado, Let's dive into this one, changing work from the inside out through mindfulness and compassion with Scott Shute, head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn. Scott, this is going to be such a great conversation today because you are the head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn. And I will admit, before I was introduced to you, I didn't even know I didn't even know that was a thing. So how does one become the head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn? Where did your journey with this begin? Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Okay, how did we get here? <laughs> so on the one hand, I've had this career as a, kind of an, as an executive leading customer service or customer operations functions. And that's that was the role I had when I started at LinkedIn almost nine years ago now. Wow. And at the same time, I've been kind of a dual agent in that I've had a, a practice, a contemplation or meditation practice since I was 13. I've been teaching since I was in college, and it's been a huge part of my life. Now, about six years ago, you know, a couple of years into my journey at LinkedIn, I realized how amazing of a place it was. You know, our CEO at the time, Jeff Weiner, was talking about his own practice using Headspace. He was talking about compassion and leadership. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, wow, this is probably a place where I can bring this part of myself that I never shared at work, mm-hmm. you know, to the workplace in a, in a totally respectful and secular way. And so about six years ago, I led one meditation. And honestly, I was terrified because I didn't know what people would like, what are people going to think of me? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like, what is this, what is this going to do for my brand and all this, you know, kind of fear and ego stuff. Yeah. And so I started with this one meditation and the first time there was one guy there wow. <laughs> and I'm sure that he was, he was just as terrified as I was. I, I never saw him again. <laughs> and the next week there were three and the week after that there were five and then it became a regular thing. Mm-hmm. And then I would get invited to bigger things, you know, so that the marketing team would have an offsite where they do breakout groups of 80 or hundred people. And I would lead, you know, a couple of the breakouts in meditations. Or the CFO would have a summit with 400 people and ask me to kick things off. And so I kind of got known as the meditation exec. And I raised my hand to be our executive sponsor of our mindfulness program. We didn't really have one. Mm-hmm. So myself and a bunch of other volunteers you know, created one. And that's been building over the last five or six years. And then for me, the tipping point was three years ago, our CEO, Jeff, gave the commencement address at Wharton and talked about compassion. Mm. Right? And I was thinking, 
wow, that's interesting. And then the next few times he's on TV, this is all the reporters want to talk about is compassion and leadership. And I was thinking, this is great. It's time, you know, I'd been in my ops role for six years. It was time for me to do something different anyway. But I was thinking, wow, we're, we're out in the world and essentially telling our employees that the number one thing they can do is to be compassionate. But what does that mean when we send them right. back to their desks? Right. And so I made a pitch to Jeff, our CEO, and to our head of HR, and with their great support, essentially created this role, head of mindfulness and compassion. Hmm. And so, and I have, you know, uh, happy to go into more detail about what that means, but that's how we got here. Yeah, I love this. And I love what you said that for your life, your whole life, you were a dual agent. So you had this, I think, very corporate side of you, but also this very spiritual and intuitive side of you. And I think I'm, I'm really struck by what you said about how you had this anxiety or this fear of bringing your full self to work. I think so many of us experience this because you want to portray a professional and I'm putting up air quotes, you know, persona and oftentimes spirituality or intuitiveness or those are not always connected. That's right. And so I, I really love the messaging of your book and what you talk about. And from what I'm gathering so far in our conversation is part of, it sounds like compassion is allowing yourself to fully show up as who you are. And when you do that, right, it just That's changes right. things for you. That's right. Thank you. It starts for, with self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? Because we typically have this negative voice. Uh, I think Ariana Huffington calls it the obnoxious roommate, you know, that inner critic that's telling you no, mm-hmm. and just, just sit down and be quiet, right? Mm-hmm. And because we have that voice, we don't really share our full selves. But here's the thing. I think that one of our biggest desires, our deepest held needs as humans is the need to be seen and heard and even beyond that, acknowledged and loved, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we share so little of ourselves, right? Like like the iceberg model, we're sharing just the tip of the iceberg. The very tip, yeah. The very yeah. tip. But when, we, but when we really get comfortable with ourselves and have that inner strength, that inner power to draw down the waterline and show other people who we are. Now, if we're met with resistance, what happens? We The waterline goes mm-hmm. back up mm-hmm. and we go back to just, you know, be in the quiet little, you know, just whatever. Right. Right. But if we can draw it down and we're brave and we get good response back, then we're encouraged to go even further and it builds that strength. And so part of it is having an environment where you're safe to do that. And I think we're always kind of seeking that environment in our friend group or associations we make or our family. We want to, we want to draw the waterline down and be safe. And so this is kind of a multi-part process. Like the first part is to really have that deep sense of security in who we are and be able to draw the waterline down for ourselves Mm -hmm. and to be able to love every part of us. And that's, as you might experience, very hard, you know, Mm -hmm. for some of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you mentioned it really begins with self-compassion. And I think part of self-compassion too is having patience for yourself Mm. and acknowledging that it's not always going to be smooth and being okay with whatever the journey brings you. And I know how, I know in the book, you talk about the role of mindfulness as well Mm -hmm. in compassion. And I would love to talk a little bit about that too, because I think when we think about mindfulness, we don't often tie it to the workplace. Like Uh, I don't show up to work every day thinking, you know, I'm going to be bringing my mindfulness practice into that environment. So what has your experience been like with that? Or or what are your insights on really mindfulness as a whole, maybe 
or, or maybe how it plays into the workplace. Yeah, let's talk about mindfulness in the workplace because some people are still like, wait, what? Why mm-hmm. does why does this matter? Yeah. For, so first, let's talk about context. Let's talk about the context of the workplace and how it has changed. Mm-hmm. So if we rewind five thousand years to when the pyramids were built. You know, and for a long time after that, we had not great work environments, right? Mm-hmm. We had yeah. kings and slaves and maybe indentured servants, or we had landowners and serfs. It was not good, right? No. Workers were not treated well. Um, and you fast forward to the industrial revolution, when you imagine a giant factory, now everybody making kind of the same widget or doing something very small, still workers not treated very well. They were viewed as um, changeable. But in the information age, a company like LinkedIn and many other big companies, we don't have hard assets. Mm-hmm. We don't have factories. We're not selling cars or copper. All we have is our people, right? This is all literally all we have in terms of assets. And so it makes sense that if our people are our number one asset, then our number one investment should be in our people mm-hmm. in all ways. Because we know just from a business sense that if people are at their best, if they're at their best physically, emotionally, mentally, the environment, then they're going to be better. So that's the environment we start with is that mm-hmm. work has changed and the, the value of a, of a worker has changed. Right. Now in that environment, physical exercise has made this you know, kind of evolution over the past 50 or 60 years. Like our grandparents didn't exercise. You know, they, they worked really hard physically, but they didn't exercise. This is a new phenomenon. Right? And, and there's even articles in the 70s about you know, CEOs that are running and no one's even chasing them. <laughs> like it was so strange. But now in, in the workplace, physical exercise in big companies you know, that have lots of employees, we offer gyms you know, and classes on TRX and weight training, and blah, 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 right? Because we know that physical exercise reduces stress, reduces anxiety. And everybody knows as workers, we all know the benefits of physical exercise. Mm-hmm. We may or may not do it, <laughs> but we right. all know it. Right. This brings us to mindfulness. So if you think of mindfulness as a mental exercise, right? Over it's the science is already there. Over 6,000 peer-reviewed papers on how mindfulness reduces stress, reduces anxiety, increases creativity, increases the quality of our relationships, increases focus, probably increases productivity. And you think about your in the work environment. In the information age, most of our jobs are not physically demanding. We don't need people to run a six-minute mile. We don't need them to lift really heavy things Mm -hmm. in the information world. Of course, there's still manufacturing and some people do, but a lot of these jobs are information jobs. What we do need people to do is be focused and to be resilient mentally, to be resilient emotionally, to be stable emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so mindfulness is one of the tools that we can offer. So the, the ROI on an, and it doesn't cost almost anything to offer these types of things, but the ROI is enormous. Yeah. Yeah. I love this idea of mainstreaming mindfulness so that it is just as common or just mm-hmm. as important and acknowledged as being, because it is as important, but be acknowledged as being just yes. as important as physical exercise and yes. recognizing, you know, that the time that you invest in yourself in, um, allowing yourself, I think, to feel more grounded or rested or just even understanding yourself. I think tapping into yourself that way is a huge part of mindfulness. I, right. I, it can't have a negative effect. That's for sure. Exactly. It can only make things better. Exactly. Exactly. It, it allows us to be more focused and more self-aware. 
Um, and when we have that self-awareness, we become more aware of other people. We become better mm-hmm. teammates. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, really, we become more aware of our customers. We become more empathetic and compassionate towards our customers. And we want to do the right thing by them. And so ultimately, I think that employees who practice like this um, end up delivering much better solutions for our customers. And honestly, the company does a lot better because mm-hmm. of it. I think the timing of our conversation too, and and the timing of your new book, Full Body Yes, is really interesting because obviously it's been more than a year into the COVID-19 pandemic. We've been experiencing several pandemics at the same time. There's a mental health crisis. So -hmm. many people are facing burnout. They're overworked. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been tons of crossing boundaries in workplaces. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all, most of us are now working from home and that's a huge you know, new boundary. I think so many of us have had to create for ourselves. That's right. And I think it's interesting, you know, when you brought this up earlier about compassionate leadership, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts or how can companies, I think, best support their employees sure. through compassion or through mindfulness, especially as we are, like I mentioned, really experiencing this mental health crisis and, and working from home, I think is a huge part of it. For sure. Just a couple other notes on what you said, and you put it so well. Um, Not only are we working from home, Mm -hmm. we're living at work. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Right? Yes. We are living at work. The boundaries Mm -hmm. are, I mean, they're kind of there, but it's up to us. You have to make it yourself. Right, to to draw them. Uh, And another point is that we are suffering a pandemic of connectivity, of disconnectivity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because we're not able to just see other people physically and hug them and kind of be with them. And so we can still connect, but it's much harder. Okay. So what can companies do? I think it starts with talking about it and it starts from the top, right? Mm -hmm. One is to recognize that, yes, we care about our employees, right? And it's a constant messaging of, hey, we want you guys to know that your health, especially your mental health is the most important thing right now. So If you need help, here are all of the resources. That's Mm -hmm. like a minimum, right? Mm -hmm. And that's like, these are emergency room resources, like, unfortunately, suicide hotline or EAP programs or things like that. But beyond that, it's offering things that are more like vitamins, right? To keep us healthy versus deal with us when we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And the vitamins are, you know, like mental wellness programs, like meditations, like group you know, um, sessions where we're connecting with each other and talking about real things. Mm -hmm. Another thing leaders can do is lead by example. Mm. And I think this is one of the beautiful things that I'm seeing, at least in my world, is that in the old days for our company, you know, all company meeting, the CEO or the executives would be on stage, you know, and it's kind of a, a separation, right? Yeah. Now, everybody's on zoom everybody we're all in these little black boxes yeah. we see the 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 executives kids walking through meetings mm-hmm. we see their dog we see the mess of their whatever room they're in or the posters from their kids from grade school that have been drawn mm-hmm. like it's it's more humanizing mm-hmm. and so if the leaders also talk about their own challenges and just acknowledge their own challenges as well as the challenges that we all face it allows us all to kind of exhale and go okay okay i don't have to be perfect Mm-hmm. I realize that we're all in this together. I'm not the only one. And it creates a space where we can talk about mental health without all of the stigmas that have been there for a very long time. So those are a few of the things. To me, it feels like humanizing 
our experience as humans, which yes. might sound kind of silly, but I think often, and I've noticed this, especially with those who are in leadership positions within companies, you don't want to show too often that you are human, that you have your own experiences with uh, mental health or difficulties within your family or whatever the situation might be. So I love what you said that it's really about humanizing yourself That's right. and showing those around you. And whether you're the CEO of a large company or you are managing a team or you are an employee of a company, period, I think getting comfortable, yeah. and it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, bringing your full self to work allows you to humanize right. your experience. That's right. Yeah. It's simply, it's simple like that. Leaders mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. It could be one of the practices that we do at LinkedIn, especially with uh, staff meetings, like where we know each other and it's a regular thing. Yeah, is starting the meeting with some sort of personal thing, like starting it with, "Hey, what's something you're grateful for?" And mm -hmm. we don't force everybody like go around the room, but like mm -hmm. if you want to talk about something, talk about it, you know, or what's a personal win or something that happened on the weekend. And it's a little counterintuitive for some people because some people just like, I just want, let's, let's just do it. Let's just talk about the project. Yeah, yeah. But what happens is when we see each other as humans first, instead mm -hmm. of as our roles or instead of as workers, then we start to bring more of ourselves to work. And we start to bring more of ourselves to work. We're making those connections. And it's counterintuitive because it takes a little time up front, but we end up moving faster later because we have much better relationships, we have better connections, we have more of a code that we can talk to each other in, a shorthand. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we go farther faster when we spend time you know, investing upfront. Mm -hmm. And for leaders themselves, you know, it's, we tend, thinking about my evolution of work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's so much easier to be a command and control leader, you know, mm. to kind of, you know, uh, lead by fear. It's like, just do what I say. Here's what we're doing. Just, just do it. It's, mm -hmm. That's easy to say. And I don't have to reveal anything about myself when I do that. But when I'm human mm -hmm. and I share some of my own vulnerability and I share some of my story, and I also, in turn, I want to know your story as well, um, I become a better leader. Again, it's counterintuitive because people will follow a person they respect and love way more than they will follow a person they respect, but fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's also about building rapport and about building personal yeah. relationships with people. Right. And something that's always been so important for me within my role where I work is to get to know the people that I work with. Even if we just work with each other once a month, getting to know them, having a conversation. But you're right. I mean, so many people are like, let's just get to the project. I don't want to, yeah. you know, we don't need to socialize. But especially yeah. now being home, only communicating through Zoom or Microsoft Teams or a phone call, it is right. so important now more than ever to build those connections with other people. It's, it's building a bridge, I think, and we're missing that. I love what you said earlier about this pandemic of being disconnected, essentially, yeah. Yeah. because we think we're so connected. You and I are talking right. right now on Zoom. Right. We are connected, but it doesn't right. replace the interaction of being in person with someone. So I That's love right. what you shared. About, yeah. It's about humanizing. It's about building a bridge and really developing personal relationships with people. That's right. We, um, in the, in the book, I talk about, you know, my own experience, but I think the experience of many, or maybe mm -hmm. even all of us in that we often are climbing the wrong mountain and mm. how we're defining success. You know, for me, myself, I'm, you know, I'm the youngest of five. 
uh, it was really important to me as a teenager to to shine and perhaps shine more brightly than my mm-hmm. siblings. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to achieve so that people would notice me. Yeah. I, um, and I was only thinking about my own success and I climbed the career ladder very quickly. And that's typically how we measure ourselves is really how will other people measure me, mm-hmm. right? It's that external validation. Yeah. Uh, and it comes through status or it comes through money or it comes through belongings or the type of car you drive or jewelry you wear or whatever. Mm-hmm. And none of that, I think, not none of it, but what, what I think is true is that no matter what role you're in, and no matter how obsessed you are or in love with that role you were in, in 15 years, it will be reduced to three bullets on a resume or three mm. bullets on a LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. But on our deathbed, when we're old and hopefully in our 80s or 90s or hundreds or whatever, we'll measure our own success by those that we love around us, by our mm. connection, really our connections. And so this is a different mountain to climb, right? Are we, are we investing our time in building those connections, which is really the thing of the heart, and also how we view ourselves internally mm-hmm. versus striving for something that's really only how we're viewed externally mm-hmm. and is often false. It's often just the story we're telling ourselves about how things really are. Always. It's always a story. I mean, for years, I defined myself and my self-worth by the external, by that measure of success that you were exactly talking about. And I think it's so interesting how the way in which you sort of framed it as climbing the wrong mountain, because Mm -hmm. I think we're often taught our value rests in what we achieve. And that's also why there's such a pandemic of burnout right now, because we are on this sort of productivity train or hamster wheel where we feel like in order to have worth, we have to be producing a lot. We have to be working a lot. So interesting how you talk about how you needed to make that shift for yourself Mm -hmm. to really define your worth and your definition of success had to change. So how do you define success today? I'm so curious. Oh, that's a good question. And let me back up a little bit Mm -hmm. um, because Somebody could be hearing this and say, oh, so I don't need to work or I don't Mm. need to progress. Mm -hmm. And there's another really important point in that there's an element of self-expression and growth, which I think is really important and critical. Like like I believe that we're this pure spark of energy, right? And making our way in the world. And each one of us is unique, but also connected. And each one of us is driven to express ourselves. And that expression can take place in, oh, how good of an accountant I am, or how good of a mother I am, or, mm-hmm. or whatever the thing is, or an artist. And we're, we're constantly trying to hone that craft because that is us. That's our expression of who we are. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing wrong with being a great, whatever, venture capitalist or great executive or great mother. The challenge is when we get so obsessed with the outcome, mm. right? So obsessed with you know, it's it's back to the, it's the journey, not the destination. Right, right, right. It's the joys in our own growth, right? So when you ask me what I define my success as, I want to, I want to remove my own filters and really let my own light shine, mm. right? And do that in a way where I'm continuing to hone my craft and benefit society, but I'm also becoming more and more and more the real me, like drawing the waterline down 100% on that iceberg and letting mm-hmm. everybody see while I'm still growing 
and have that growth be for the good of the whole, not just for my own development. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I want to sit with that for a moment because allowing your full self to shine through is success in many, many ways. And we don't view it that way. We're not taught to view it that way. And I know in the book too, you talk about how happiness plays a role in how we should maybe, or we view success. Could you talk a little bit about that too? Because I think, you know, we are on Seek the Joy podcast and I do think, (laughs) I, I love this concept of really how, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is, is the more you can tap into your joy or your happiness, yeah. it yeah. fuels your ability to have more compassion for yourself and show up as your full self. So I'd That's love to right. talk a little bit about that because I think it's so valuable, especially in this framework of sure. success. Let me talk a little bit about pessimism versus optimism. Mm. And because what I would say is, I don't know if happiness is exactly the word I'm looking for, but let's mm. let's let's talk about optimism versus pessimism. Mm -hmm. So as humans, we are programmed. We have evolved in a way that has kept us alive, right? So like physically, our amygdalas are always searching for danger, looking for the things in our life that are bad so that we stay alive. And in fact, you see this on the evening news. The news is essentially a mirror of our amygdalas. What are all the things we're afraid of? Now that translates into our emotions and our mind as well. We tend to be, have a negativity bias meaning we view everything in our life. We look at it as what's the worst thing that could happen here because Mm -hmm. that's how we stayed alive. Here's a key word, alive, not happy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if we want to move from feeling just, you know, alive to feeling something more, it's this move from pessimism to optimism. Mm. So in other words, um, think of a road, like I call this pothole management. You could have a road that's a thousand miles long. And if it has one pothole, where do we put our attention, right? Think like at work, if everything's great, except you have this one problem, where do we spend our staff meeting? Mm -hmm. We're talking about the one problem. And there's nothing wrong with trying to fix the one pothole in our life. What's wrong is we spend 99% of our energy on the 1% of our life that's wrong Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, a more balanced approach. And so when we ask ourselves, okay, well, what else is good? In other, you know, in, in other words, an optimistic view, Then we can celebrate the 999 miles of perfect road. We can celebrate the people who made it that way and kept it that way. It's like in our own life, when we get a performance review, you know, there can be five pages of praise and one half paragraph of like, here's what Scott needs to work on for Mm -hmm. next time. Mm -hmm. And where do we obsess? We obsess on those all the time. (laughs) And because of that, our lives get really small. Mm. When, When we're pessimistic, we don't try new things. We only stick to you know the top of the iceberg where it's already sunny and well-worn. But when we're optimistic, we tend to think like, okay, well, let me try that new thing. And it pushes me out of my comfort zone, but then I realize my comfort zone is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I look back and it's like, wow, look, look at all the things I've done. Look how mm-hmm. comfortable I am doing all these things. So for me, it's this movement from away from just thinking about what's wrong to including the what's right as well. Mm. Not sugarcoating or ignoring the what's wrong, but just shifting the focus a little bit. And when I shift the focus to the things that are good, it makes me stronger to deal with the things that are hard or quote wrong in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
This is so interesting to me because you're right. We often spend way too much time focusing on the negative or the one, the one half paragraph of yes. constructive criticism, as opposed to <laughs> yes. really focusing our energy and our attention on the things that are going well and the things are, that are going right. I think it's interesting too what you said about how in doing so, in focusing on the positive and focusing on that optimistic perspective, it almost allows you to build up a muscle mm -hmm. so that you gain greater confidence or you're more mm -hmm. assured with yourself so that you can face an obstacle head on. That's and I right. think we need that. We need to be able to, you know, pump ourselves up a little bit to face right. what's coming at us. But I don't know if we're often demonstrated or taught sort of that perspective right. um, or that ability to, you know, really build up your confidence right. or, or those muscles in that way. One of the things that businesses and leaders can do is to occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally celebrate the failures, mm. right? Because what usually happens is we fail and we don't want to tell anybody about it, right? No. We, we barely will tell our boss and our boss will not tell their boss and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But if we get into this mode where we're like, hey, you know what? Here's what happened. Joe tried this new thing. And here's all the things that went well, but here's the things that spectacularly went wrong. And let's all talk about it and let's celebrate Joe. Like we're, we might even give Joe an award for trying something new, mm -hmm. but let's realize all the things we learned from it, right? And what this does is it then gives license for other people to try something that's out of the box. Mm -hmm. And it creates this culture where like, it's okay to fail. We don't want to do it all the time. We want to learn like what, what worked and what didn't work, but we're also not just closing down and just staying safe. Because that's not good for our business or for us personally. No. Celebrating failure. We don't do enough of that. And I've <laughs> definitely had moments, I think, within the last few years when I will try something brand new or put myself out there in a new way or reach out to somebody new or something. Yeah. And even if it doesn't get the result that I want, I, I am choosing more than ever to celebrate the fact that I tried, that's that I right. put myself out there. And that's I think right. we need to do more of that. You know, it doesn't, it's not always going to go the way we imagine. We will fail. We will land on our butt. But you know right. what? The growth and the learning that That's comes right. from doing something new, invaluable, absolutely right. invaluable. I think this is for me, I'm, yeah, I, I'm just over 50 now. And one of the, one of the very few benefits of getting older <laughs> is that, is that you've seen more cycles, right? Yes. And so in my career, I've had my job eliminated three times mm -hmm. and almost eliminated two other times. And before it happened the first time I would have said, oh my God, that's devastating. But with the benefit of time, you realize actually in that period of time, that turned out to be the best thing for my career. Mm -hmm. right? In the moment, no, it was not fun. And no. it was, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was not fun. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But sometimes it's these challenges that force us to try something new, right? Because mm -hmm. here's what I believe. I believe that life never gives us more than we can handle. Mm -hmm. It might give us more than we can handle with our current skill set right? Mm -hmm. But we're forced to learn a new skill to deal with life's challenges. And then over time, you look back, or me having the benefit, being the benefit of uh, being a little bit older, I can appreciate those challenges because like, wow, I am so, so much more capable than I was when I was X years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all of it's because of these new experiences. So much comes with experience and putting yourself out there and, and not allowing yourself to stay, you know, within the confines of a safe Box, That's right. so to speak. That's right. You know, it's so interesting. I think, especially in the last year, so many of us are 
reevaluating the fulfillment, really, that we get from our jobs or our careers or the time in which we spend working. And I know in the book, you talk about some questions that people mm-hmm. can ask themselves um, if they're in the space of sort of reevaluating where they're mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Is there one question or, or where's a good place, you know, for them to start? Oh. Because I think so many of us are in that space right now of what sure. am I doing? Does this still feel sure. good? Am I excited by it? Well, those are, those, first of all, those are great questions. Did I just answer my own question? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, there's kind of a process and I think it depends on how much work someone has done. Mm-hmm. Right? And so if I was starting with someone who had not done the work at all, yeah. I would talk about values, mm. right? Like have, have you identified your core values? And most people, they get triggered when those values um, are stomped on, whether mm-hmm. they're aware of them or not. And I think it's really important to get them down, put them down on paper and know what your most important values are. Mm-hmm. And then once you're clear on your values, then ask the questions you just asked, mm. which is essentially, is this job, is this life, is this path, whatever I'm doing right now, am I moving closer to the heart of my values or further away? Mm. Right? So I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, I took a call from a recruiter. Uh, she was trying to recruit me to be the COO of a company, you know, that was going to be the next Uber. It was going to be a rocket ship. And my ego was totally, you know, like, ah! mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. right? Yeah. Because on paper, it sounds like a dream job. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Here's the trouble. My daughter had just started high school at the time. The job was two states away. It was in an industry that I wasn't really interested in. The job itself, as we got into the details, I wasn't really interested in. But there was still this huge part of my brain that was like, you should totally do it. Come on. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. which it's for all the wrong reasons, for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to do it because of the title and because of the money. Mm-hmm. Not because one, I love the job, not because it's where I wanted to live, or not because it would support my daughter and my family in the life we wanted to live. And so ultimately I chose no, because of those three things, th- those were more valuable. I want to do that a job that I love. I, my family and my relationships are super important to me. And I want to live in a place that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. And so these are, these are the types of choices we're making every minute, you know, every the day. And the biggest ones are the ones, you know, like these big career or relationship shifts. And so I think going back to values is this getting me closer to the heart of my values or not? I love this idea of starting by tapping into your values. Some mm. of us don't even know what those are. So just taking I, the time to do that exercise feels yeah. so valuable. No yeah. pun intended. Um, <laughs> because I think too, part of you know understanding and knowing your values in that process, it becomes about empowering yourself. empowering yourself to know and to trust any decision that you make, the way in which something makes you feel. And this is bringing me back to just the theme, I think, of this whole conversation too, which is that when you tap into this sense of mindfulness and compassion, you're able to empower yourself in the workplace too. And I'm curious, you know, what have you seen in your time at LinkedIn or in your own life as well, maybe just about the impact of mindfulness and compassion I'll tell you a couple. So, so oftentimes people ask me, okay, what's the ROI on this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's a good question. And mostly I measure things now by first consumption. In other words, do people come to the things I offer? Yeah. And then customer satisfaction. You know, when we do surveys, do they enjoy the stuff we do? And that's a good start. I think it's really hard to, to measure directly 
ROI versus of mind of doing a meditation session to production. Um, maybe we'll get there someday. But what I know is the stories that people tell me, and they're very consistent. But here's a couple examples. I had one where this young woman um, was in my organization, and long story short, she yeah, I got to talk to her about her experience with our program, and she said, "Okay, look, a year ago." I thought this whole mindfulness stuff was just a bunch of BS. Mm. She said it in a more colorful way. <laughs> she said, but you guys did this 30-day challenge. And um, I like a good challenge. So I signed up for it. The challenge was to meditate you know, using this app for 20 mm -hmm. times during mm -hmm. the, the month. Mm -hmm. And she said, and now I'm on, I have a 400-day streak going. You know, I've been doing this for 400 days. Wow. And she said, it's changed my life. Mm. And I said, well, that's awesome. She says, no, 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 Here, here's the good part. She said, this morning I went and I presented at our, at our all hands for her group, which was a group of like 80, 80 people or so. She said, a year ago, I never, and I mean, never would have done that. Mm -hmm. I was a spaz, you know, I didn't have control of my emotions. And she went on to describe her, her life then. She said, but now I'm feeling more confident. And even this morning, I was freaking out a little bit. But before I went on stage, I went to a conference room and I did my breathing and then I went out there and I crushed it. Mm. And later I was talking with the, my friends who run the group and asked about this woman and they're like, oh yeah. And I didn't tell them the story. They're like, oh yeah. Like she has totally changed. Like, I don't know what's going on with her, but like she has totally come out of her shell. Wow. And I was thinking, wow, this is why we do this work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I get hundreds of emails, like the following this young, young mother emailed me with, you know, a note of gratitude, just a short note. It's essentially, hey, thanks for offering the stuff that you guys offer. You know, I'm, I'm home by myself with two little kids. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And, you know, I'm screaming at them a lot less. <laughs> and she, it wasn't quite that bad. She went on to say, it's like, hey, I'm, I feel like I can be so much more present. Mm -hmm. Like I can be there for them. And that's what I really want to be. I'm, in other words, she's saying, I'm more of who I want to be because mm -hmm. of these things. Mm. And I'm thinking this, this is it. This is why we do what we do. I am more of who I want to be. That's yeah. the crux. That's the crux of all of it is just becoming more of who you are, of who you want to be. And like you said, you know, bringing down that line on the iceberg, yeah. your, your book is called full body. Yes. So I got to ask you, what is a full body? Yes. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Yeah. So that kind of riffing on the theme you said, like it's, mm -hmm. it's when we take down all of the water mm. and we really feel in alignment with ourselves. Um, that's the deepest one, right? When we mm -hmm. really feel like there's no more filter, there's no more judgment. We just are like, we feel co totally comfortable with who we are. Sometimes it happens when you just know something, right? Mm -hmm. And it can happen in a little way, like you're reaching for, a small choice. Like, do I eat the, the cereal or the fruit for breakfast? And like, you just know, it's like, oh, I want the cereal. Like that's a full body. There's, there's no doubt. Like you just want the cereal. Yeah. But sometimes it happens in a really deeper way. You know, like when these big decisions, uh, should I stay in this relationship or not? Should I start this relationship? Should I take this job and quit this job? Like these big decisions there are times, so as an example, when I got recruited to, um, to start at LinkedIn, I loved my other company. I loved my other job. I didn't want to leave, mm. but I took the call and I started interviewing and I went through so many rounds of interviews 
And then one night I was sleeping and I woke up in the middle of the night, like 1.30, 2 o'clock, and I was wide awake. And I just had this knowingness. It's like, I'm supposed to do this job. Like, I don't know why, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm supposed to take this job. And I just knew. And that was, you know, we went on to do more interviews, but internally the decision had been made. Like, I just knew. Yeah. To me, that's what the full body yes is. Mm. What do you hope readers will take away from the book? This this episode will come out a few weeks after it's yeah. finally out in the world, but what do you hope people will take away from it? So first of all, I hope they read it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like if you really, yes. if you can't afford the book, just reach out to me. I'll give you a copy. Seriously. Oh. I just want people to read it. Yeah. Um, here's the deal. This is not one of those boring business books. Like I tell a bunch of my own stories, times where I got it wrong, times where I got it right. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good read. And there's like 40 stories. I think there's at least one story for every person where you go, oh, that's me. That's me. And it's intended to be a fire starter. It's intended to be like, to just to shift the trajectory of your life just a little bit, whether that's towards more self-compassion, whether that's towards more living your purpose, whether that's towards just getting control of your anger. Like we're all at a different place in this journey. And there's at least one story, I know it, Mm -hmm. which will change your life. Mm, I love this. All right. So I want to end by asking you two questions. I normally ask anyone that comes on the show. The first one is, do you have a mantra or an affirmation or something that you hold close to you that has really helped to guide you uh, on your journey so far? Mm. <laughs> I might give a couple here. One <laughs> of my, one of my uh, things from childhood. So my father, when I was a teenager, my father and I had a tumultuous relationship and then it got you know much better as I got older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Probably I was the one changing, right? That's, this is how this works. <laughs> yes. But when I was 15, his advice to me was, you know, most of your problems can be solved if you have a good attitude. <laughs> right on and, the money. Yes. And it turns out like, I didn't want to hear that when I was 15, no. <laughs> but the wisdom of that is so deep, like so mm-hmm. beyond, maybe even beyond what he was thinking about, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth to that. Mm. And the second one is a practice, which I would invite uh, anybody listening to do this, even right now, is you put your hand on your heart and you can do this when you're you know, brushing your teeth or doing your makeup or your hair or shaving, whatever. Every morning, look yourself in the eyes and say your name and say, I love you. Mm. And in the beginning, this is hard. This feels weird. We have all this judgment. We're like, shh should I even be saying this to myself? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there's something wrong with me. Am I ego? T- no, let all that judgment go. And when you can say that fully without fear, with or shame or judgment, then you're on the path to being able to say it to somebody else. Beyond powerful, beyond powerful. Thank you for sharing those two things. All right. Last question for you. What is your biggest dream? Oh, my biggest dream. You know, a few years ago, I changed the tagline on my LinkedIn profile to be change work from the inside out. Mm. And I mean this in the biggest way that you can mean it. I mean, there are 3.3 billion people that are working. And so my dream is to influence companies, influence the industry in how we work. In the simple things that we talked about, like companies that balance the needs of their customers, balance the needs of their employees with their own selves do better. Mm-hmm. So if we did this, 
companies and leaders and individuals would all treat the people at work so much better. They treat them as humans first. They treat them as if they would treat their grandmother if they were working there. And companies would treat their customers with real reverence to really deeply understand their needs and what makes them tick and how to make them valuable and tell the stories of their customers. In other words, it would be filled with compassion. And so then, and if we're all encouraged to be our, you know, our own unique spark and bring that full creative self to work, imagine how much joy we would have in a workplace. And if every workplace, you know, was trying to live some bigger purpose than just make money, because mm -hmm. who cares? That's hard mm -hmm. to get behind. So that's my dream is if we really live the values of compassion in every part of the workplace and in a way that makes each one of us more successful mm -hmm. as individuals, as teams, and as companies. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. You know, it's so interesting if I could sum up our conversation, which is so hard to do because it has been so much fun and so beautiful and we've gone in so many different directions, but I feel like there is just such a beautiful and incredible symbiotic relationship between mindfulness and compassion. Mindfulness fuels compassion, compassion fuels greater mindfulness. And if we can bring that into our lives, both personally, but also at work, it changes everything. Just like you said, from the inside out. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on Seek the Joy podcast. Where can everybody find you, connect by your sure. new book, Full Body Yes, and, sure. uh, and learn more? The Full Body Yes you can find after May 11th wherever books are sold. So find your favorite place and support them. You can find more about me at scottshoot.com or thefullbodyyes.com. They go to the same place. And then follow me for daily stuff on LinkedIn. And feel free to reach out. You know, don't be a stranger. Uh, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Perfect. Everything will go in the show notes. We'll make it so easy for everyone to find you, connect and learn more. And Scott, thank you so much again. This has been truly such a joy. I've loved connecting with you. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. This was Beautiful. great. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Seek the Joy podcast is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created, produced, and hosted by me, Sydney Weiss. You can tune into all of our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're enjoying the show, hit follow and leave us a five-star rating and review. Make sure to join the community, join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. And don't forget, you can actually watch today's new episode and all of our episodes on our brand new YouTube channel. Click that link in the show notes to subscribe and tune in. As always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you right back here next week for another Seek the Joy Tuesday. Tuesday.